Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Well, good afternoon, all. And uh, Tim, how are you? I'm just fine, Lou. I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the voice of manufacturing globally. Lou, we have a great guest on today, but before we get to her, I'd like you to give us uh, some uh, news updates. And I'm particularly interested, and in, I know our audience will be, on what you have to share with them about Fabtech last week in Atlanta, Georgia. Be happy to. As part of our postscript portion of the show, uh, Tim and I and uh, a couple of others within our organization was at Fabtech in fabulous Atlanta, Georgia. Fabtech is uh, the, the brainchild of uh, uh, FMA, the Fabrication and Manufacturing Association, along with other partners. And they had a, uh, an incredible show. We've had, uh, we had 1,500 exhibitors. We had 37,000 attendees. And uh, the news portion of uh, this segment of our show is that uh, we, mfgtalkradio.com, was at the show. We broadcasted live. We had 13 interviews, uh, some of which was uh, Cindy Misaglio, who's vice president of uh, Walmarts. We had uh, William Gaskin, president of the PMA, Precision Metal Forming Association, which is also one of the partners for Fabtech. Ed Udell, president of the FMA, and uh, about nine or ten others. Um, and uh, it was a fabulous show. Uh, you can listen to all the shows uh, on mfgtalkradio.com when you get a chance. And um, for the show today, Tim, would you be happy to do that intro? Sure, be glad to. Uh, by the way, a special uh, shout-out to Sarah. We were staying at a nice hotel in Buckhead, and we bumped into one of our listeners, which is always nice to experience. Uh, today we have Sandy Montalbano with us. Sandy is a consultant with Reshoring Initiative. Uh, we have had Harry Moser on the show previously. Sandy's going to give us some updated information on what is happening with Reshoring, and it's actually exceptionally good news. Sandy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Sandy, what, uh, just in a kind of a brief overview, uh, give me and our listeners uh, an idea of what you're doing with the Reshoring Initiative, if you would. Okay. Well, for my part, what I do on behalf of the Reshoring Initiative is I speak, uh, I co-write articles, um, organize partnerships with other groups, and just generally bring awareness to the mission through social media, content marketing, and media relations. And it appears that reshoring, and I know a lot of people are, are you know, questioning, is reshoring a real thing or is it uh, uh, just a, a lot of conversation? It, it appears to be a very real thing. Can you give us some statistics on what's happening with reshoring? I can. Uh, actually, since 2003, uh, new offshoring is down by 70%, and new reshoring is up by 1,500%. So there is a dramatic um, increase in, in reshoring. Uh, the most important accomplishment has been the net loss of the 100,000-plus manufacturing jobs that we had going on each year. So all of that has ended. Um, new reshoring is now balancing new offshoring at about 40,000 manufacturing jobs a year. And um, so we are in balance. And as Mr. Moser, our founder, says, uh, we have stopped the economic bleeding. Great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, another thing uh, that we have uh, regarding reshoring data is the Reshoring Initiative collects uh, all articles written about reshoring, and we have an online reshoring library uh, on our website that uh, is a collection of companies that have reshored 
how they have the job numbers collected and just um, many, many articles about it uh, that people can look at, take a look at, and really watch the trend as it develops. Now, Sandy, uh, we, we allow our guests to shamelessly plug their websites, and I understand there's something like 1,800 articles there. What website can they go to to get access to those? That would be www.reshorenow.org. Okay. Uh, Sandy, uh, we've heard the term recently of nearshoring. Uh, can you ex- explain that for our listeners and see how that interacts with reshoring, or are they two different issues, or are they complementary? Um, well, basic, sure. Uh, basically, uh, reshoring is bringing back uh, the manufacturing of goods that were once made here and then were offshored, and we're bringing them back. That's reshoring. If you bring them back to a country that is in close proximity, perhaps like Mexico is to the United States, that would be nearshoring. Reshoring and nearshoring can work together. Um, Each job is different and each company is different, uh, so they have to evaluate uh, what they are manufacturing and what's best for them, and they can do that with our total cost of ownership estimator, which is a complementary tool on our website, which we can get to later. Um, However, if a job is uh, labor-intensive and a portion of the job is labor-intensive, what they might do is reshore the labor-intensive portion of the job back from China to Mexico and reshore the more skilled labor portion or capital-intensive labor portion to the United States. And what we like to say is we'd rather be part of a winning team than all of a losing team. Sandy, the, if we're in balance with the 40,000 jobs coming back and 40,000 jobs leaving, what jobs would still be leaving, still being offshore? Well, I would imagine that um, some of the jobs that could still be offshore is something that has a very large labor component to it uh, would, be, uh, would be my probably the largest number. Uh, Also, occasionally companies don't do the math and they do uh, a cost calculation that is more simplified than total cost. Uh, Perhaps they do landed cost uh, or total landed cost, which takes into consideration perhaps seven different elements of, of the cost of offshoring. Whereas if they do a total cost analysis, it takes into consideration 29 different costs. And what that does is it lets you look at the obvious costs and the hidden costs and risks uh, that are involved. So if a company um, doesn't do the, uh, the correct calculation, that might be another reason that they're continuing to offshore or deciding to offshore. And, and at its peak, do you know how many jobs actually went offshore that we're trying to recover? Um, I am not sure. I believe I, I believe it was in the maybe eleven million that we lost. Ooh, I'm not. That's I, a that's a lot of jobs. But I could be that's, wrong. I'm not sure. It, it's still, I'm sure, in the millions of jobs that moved offshore, and uh, I'm glad to see that for the first time in 20 years we're at a net neutral uh, job situation with offshoring. Uh, you know, from, a, from a personal standpoint, I know some companies offshore their uh, tech support helplines. Uh, and, and, and no matter who I talk to and I ask them, gee, have you ever called tech support for so-and-so, uh, the, the stories you hear <laughs> are uh, always the same, uh, frequently not complimentary, uh, that it's very difficult to get, for instance, your computer problem solved when you're talking to somebody half a world away. Yes. So I'm hoping they're bringing some of those jobs back, too. Yes. Uh, one, actually, the top three factors, that uh, reasons that companies are reshoring is, number one, is labor costs, number two is uh, proximity to customers, and number three is uh, product quality at 34%. So quality is one of the top reasons that people are reshoring. And I think that uh, is what 
we have also heard consistently on our show over the last year is that product quality is a big issue. Uh, there was some expectation that you could produce it faster, better, cheaper uh, offshore. That didn't exactly work out well. And so they're now bringing a lot of those jobs back. And uh, made in America and the good old USA is uh, certainly rising, a rising tide in manufacturing. Yes, yes. Uh, Sandy, I, I have a question for you, and I don't know if this uh, is something that you can answer or reply to, uh, but I'll throw it out there anyway. The unemployment in our country has dropped to 5.9, according to the U3 numbers that the government puts out, uh, and the U6 is still somewhere around 12%, which is the real unemployment. But let's take a look at the 5.9, uh, which has come down from 8, 9 at one point. Uh, is it believed that some of the reshoring that has been going on is contributory of the fact that the unemployment has dropped? Oh, I, I don't believe that we have numbers on that. Um, what I can say is uh, one of the things that the reshoring initiative believes in is that we should um, – replace our imports uh, with domestically manufactured products. And if we were to do that, that would certainly affect the unemployment rate. Um, if we were able to um, balance our trade deficit by replacing imports with domestically ma manufactured products, we would actually reduce the unemployment by about four percentage points. However, um, I don't have the numbers on, on mm -hmm. what if it has had any impact at this point or what that impact would be. Sandy, I see one of the benefits of reshoring is shorter supply chain, and I'd like to, for you to go into that a bit. I think some companies are experiencing that particular pain right now with the work slowdown on the West Coast ports, yeah. and a lot of goods that were supposed to be in stores already for the Christmas holiday season are bobbing around on the ocean. So. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. Uh, well, basically, um, that would be a reason that you might want to do a total cost of ownership um, uh, estimate or evaluation on those products that are stuck out there um, in, the, in the, the port congestion. Uh, actually, a typical international shipment costs twice as much, five times as long, and has five times the lead time variable of a domestic shipment. So it's certainly one of those costs that should be considered when they're doing their total cost of ownership estimate. And by the way, uh, our total cost of ownership uh, estimator is complimentary, so it is free for anyone to use, and that's also on our website. And that's at uh, reshorenow.org? Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. And, and so, could you kind of walk through those three components when you said it's five times this and three times that? Walk through those for our listeners a little bit. Sure. Um, there was a study done by Aberdeen Research, and what they found is that a typical international shipment does cost uh, twice as much as a domestic shipment, and it, it takes five times as long as a d domestic shipment would take and also has five times the lead time. Um, so all of this would affect, of course, time to market, which is very important, wow. and flexibility uh, for you know any changes in, in customer demand or product design. Uh, so uh, the shorter supply chains offer a lot more flexibility uh, to companies. And I see that also you cite smaller inventories. Is that because you can actually manage the supply chain better if it's in your, you know, in the U.S. versus coming in from overseas? Well, normally what happens um, when it comes in from overseas, first of all, many times it has to be paid for when it's shipped. So uh, your 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 cash flow is affected. So if you're paying for uh, a shipment when it's shipped and it's not going to get here for a number of weeks or however long that would take, um, your cash flow is affected. Also, uh, normally you are expected to uh, have larger manufacturing runs. Uh, that's expected uh, overseas when you do, um, when you're working uh, mostly with, with Asia, I would imagine. 
and also um, you would want the inventories to be larger because it does take such a long time for it to get here. So all of those things create some hidden costs, such as uh, you know the cost of inventory and uh, the, the the loss of inventory if if your product changes, uh, if you know customer demand changes. So that's why the larger inventories have a lot of hidden costs that many people uh, may not have taken into consideration uh, when they were deciding to offshore. Does the estimating tool point out each of these little nuances, Andy? Yes, it does. It has 29 different factors. It has um, the more obvious factors such as uh, you know shipping costs mm-hmm. and, and such, and, but it also has the hidden risks. Uh, such as supply chain disruption, uh, political instability. Uh, it can factor in uh, the loss of innovation. Um, so all of those factors go into it as well to really give you a total cost. Also, just uh, the fact of doing business at such a distance, there are uh, is a lot more travel involved. Uh, there are middle-of-the-night phone calls, many things that give these people uh, pain, perhaps, uh, from having something offshore as to manufacturing it here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sandy, uh, I was running through some of my research, and uh, uh, Harry Moser, who's uh, president and uh, founder of Reshoring Initiative, uh, had the distinct honor of uh, participating in a uh, insourcing uh, forum with uh, President Obama. Uh, at the White House some time ago. Can you uh, go into a little bit about what came out of that uh, insourcing forum? Yes. Well, basically what they did is they had a number of experts from the manufacturing industry, uh, Harry being one of them. Um, Another uh, gentleman that you may be familiar with is Hal uh, Serkin from Boston Consulting Group. Um, So there were a number of, of of people that they invited, uh, and basically what they were asking was the question of how can we bring manufacturing and jobs back to the United States, um, and what they did is they advised uh, on the changes that they thought would be important and what were needed uh, to further accelerate the process. Um, I'm not sure exactly what particularly came out of that, but I know that um, Harry Moser, our founder, um, has made recommendations on um, on workforce training. He has made recommendations on the importance of um, spending as much uh, time and, and budgeting uh, on reducing imports as we do on um, on exports. Of course, exports are very important, but uh, Mr. Moser feels that imports are equally, um, replacing imports with domestically manufactured goods is equally important. So, um, so that's what they did, and um, it was it was an honor for him to be invited there, and I think he really enjoyed going very much. Well, I think Walmart feels the same way. When we were in Atlanta at Fabtech, we talked with uh, Cindy Marsiglio, vice president of U.S. manufacturing, and Walmart has an initiative to spend $250 billion, with a B, dollars uh, in the U.S., more than they were previously spending over the next 10 years to source goods here in the U.S. So that certainly is going to generate some job growth here and probably pull some jobs back from overseas. Would you imagine that's true, Sandy? I would absolutely agree with that. Um, We believe that Walmart is one of the biggest uh, drivers of the reshoring trend right now. Um, With the $250 billion uh, investment that they're making in in Made in America uh, manufacturing, in over the 10-year period, we expect them to reshore 300,000 jobs, um, manufacturing mm-hmm. jobs, that is. And the Boston Consulting Group um, puts that at 1 million overall jobs because of the manufacturing multiplier effect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it is, uh, it, we, what we are doing is we are helping uh, suppliers um, to evaluate uh, their decisions using our total cost of ownership um, estimator. 
um, they can contact us if they would like to be a supplier for Walmart, and we will help them uh, walk them through the TCO process and see if they can um, actually reshore some products as well. And I think Cindy also pointed that out in a slide where she showed the U.S. competitiveness uh, against um, half a dozen other countries, China being one. And at the moment, China is really the only country out there that uh, produces at less of a, a cost than at the, in the United States. We're really number two, and China is cooling off as uh, wage rates rise in China. Right. Yes, so that's it, true. It will be interesting to see how that evolves. Right. And they are really only one-third of our productivity. Our productivity is much higher here in the United States. Um, also, um, um, they what happens is even if the 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 price is is much lower in in China or offshore um because of the many different factors of manufacturing at a distance uh, the total cost is many times higher mhm mm-hmm. and that is the concept of localization um caterpillar uh is one of the large companies that uses uh localization sometimes they call it regionalization um, in their manufacturing, and really all that means is manufacturing close to where the product is going to be consumed. Okay. Now, the other thing that I read, and I, I'm sure our listeners read, it may cause a tinge of confusion, is uh, uh, reshoring versus insourcing. What's the difference, Sandy? <laughs> there actually is no difference at all. Um, okay. President Obama has used the uh, the uh, term insourcing, so of course uh, he gets a lot of press, probably more than us at the Reshoring Initiative. Uh, so that term is <laughs> is used quite often. Uh, there are actually a number of terms. There's backshoring, onshoring, insourcing. Um, but they all mean the same thing, uh, bringing back the manufacturer product that will be sold or assembled here. Okay. Uh, Sandy, we have, uh, we're going to take a commercial break, but before we do, I'm going to leave you with what we're going to come back with, and that's about the gray hairs, retirement, and the fact that we have so many jobs in manufacturing uh, that are available and how it relates to reshoring, insourcing, and all the other buzzwords. So we're going to come back to that in a moment. I'll give you a minute to think about that. And uh, for now, we're going to take a commercial break. Okay. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania, is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778. All Metals and Forge Group manufactures open-die forging in blocks, hubs, shafts, flanges, cylinders, gear blanks, and custom forge shapes, including seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, nickel alloys, copper and titanium for parts and assemblies in aerospace, oil and gas exploration, defense, machinery, transportation, shipbuilding, energy and power, pulp and paper, and many other industries. Visit steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Okay, Sandy, you've had uh, about 45 seconds to think about the point of my question, and let me just uh, lay it out a little bit better for our listeners. the gray hairs are retiring. Some are dying. Uh, we have 600,000 uh, manufacturing jobs is the number that seems to be bantied around. 
and we have uh, fewer people entering the manufacturing sector, even though we're we're all out there trying to get them into manufacturing and make manufacturing look cool and sexy. Um, how is this going to affect this whole issue with now reshoring of all these jobs coming back, and we are absent of 600,000 jobs right now? It could go to a million. It could go to a million five. What's What's being done? Yes. Uh, actually, uh, workforce cha- training and, and this issue are extremely important to reshoring. It's it's really the number one um, issue that we we need to tackle. Um, so, what w- the biggest thing that we believe uh, that will help is that we have to change the perception of manufacturing as a, as a career. Basically, manufacturing has a PR problem in that. Um, Many people experience the decline of manufacturing, or they have an uncle that was, you know, was laid laid off from manufacturing. But many people ex- experience the impact um, of the offshoring. So, number one, uh, what we feel is to change the, the perception uh, that training is and apprenticeships are as important as a university degree. And uh, that would be number one. Uh, the next thing is that we have to change the idea that manufacturing is in a decline. Um, manufacturing is on an upswing. Uh, reshoring numbers are good. So we have to uh, let people know that. And one of the reasons that we um, work hard to keep reshoring in the press is for that reason. And uh, so it's very good that we're all discussing manufacturing. It's very positive. Um, we were speaking with Brad Holcomb from the Institute of Supply Management uh, several months ago, and we were talking about the fact that at one time manufacturing in this country represented 47 or 48 percent of GDP, and presently it, it's at 12. And my question to him was, uh, how long is it going to take us to get to let's say, a nice conservative 20. And I believe his number, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Tim, is uh, two or three years. Is that uh, correct? And would you stand with that as well, Sandy? Uh, I, thought two was, or th- I thought it was slightly longer than that. But, uh, um, Sandy, what is your read on that? Well, I, uh, from what, what I've read and what I understand is that I don't know if the manufacturing job numbers will ever get to where they were before uh, because our productivity has increased. So many of the, them are going to come back, and certainly it will uh, boost our economy and, and be excellent for the country, but I don't know if the job numbers are going to be as big as they were before. As far as uh, how reshoring fits into that, um, it is going to take uh, – reshoring is going on now, and it's accelerating, and the trend is is in a very good spot. But it will take many years to reshore all of those jobs, um, possibly even decades. Let's talk about, Sandy, for a moment, reshoring as, as a trend or a fad. Uh, you know, trends tend to last over time, and – Fads like uh, Nehru shirts, if anybody remembers those from the 70s, uh, tend to be uh, on the shelf and gone in a year or two. Uh, My sense is that reshoring is not a fad, that in fact it's a trend. And is that what your statistics are showing you? Yes, they are. And basically what is behind the trend is, is manufacturing locally makes economic sense. Uh, because even though the manufacturing costs might be higher, all of the other many, many costs of offshoring make it uh, many times more economical to actually manufacture domestically. So from there, uh, just the fact that it makes economic sense to reshore and to produce domestically and close to consumers and close to customers um, makes uh, us believe that, that the trend will, of course, continue. And I see that Caterpillar, General Electric, Motorola, uh, even Dow Chemical uh, are, are 
moving manufacturing back to the United States. These are, are, are large multinational companies who are now moving back into the U.S. Yes. So that's certainly a, a healthy indicator for it. Yes. Actually, the GE story is one of our favorite reshoring stories. Um, when they reshored um, their water heater back to the United States, um, redesigning it actually made reshoring possible. Um, so what they did is they kind of collected everybody into a war room. They had the factory worker, the foreman, the fixture designer, the design engineers, and the manufacturing engineers all together in one room. And their collaboration was so successful uh, that the quality was improved and the design was simplified um, so much that they were actually able to sell the product for 20% less in the United States, even though the labor cost the, was $5 more here than it was um, overseas. Uh, so basically, um, many of these companies are using redesign, innovation, automation, robotics, uh, lean manufacturing, many of these components to increase uh, U.S. competitiveness. And, uh... Sandy, we saw at uh, Fabtech uh, last week um, there were 1,500 exhibitors, and everyone was there with their biggest and fanciest and uh, snazziest uh, new manufacturing uh, pieces of equipment. And we, Tim and I both saw that many of these uh, pieces of equipment are powered by an iPad. And uh, the... <laughs> the amount of productivity that you get out of that, not even to mention the fact that one iPad can actually run 10, 15, 20 different pieces of machinery all at the same time. Yeah, so, it's fascinating. Uh, it, it's, it's fascinating to watch, and I would think would also be a draw for the, um, the millennials or the kids coming out of school who are not college material but who are computer savvy. Uh, that would find it uh, interesting and challenging to be able to uh, run a five-ton piece of equipment with a, a one-pound uh, iPad. Yes, yes, of course. Yes, I, w I would think so because they are growing up with this um, different than you and I. Um, we learned it as adults or young adults, and um, they are very comfortable with this kind of technology in their hands. So they should be able to uh, really do a lot with it. I know that if I need to reprogram my phone, I go to my, my daughters. <laughs> 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 and they're always very helpful. <laughs> Tim? Hello, Tim? I and we may Are you there? Oh, uh yeah, I, I just had a little mic problem here. I see that MacBook Pro is producing in Texas, and Lenovo ThinkPads are rolling off the assembly line in North Carolina. That's a big change because I know Lenovo went to China after it was, uh, I think the ThinkPad was purchased by IBM. Well, we're also getting um, a lot of uh, foreign direct investment from uh, from other countries coming into the U.S., uh, because of the same localization uh, factor. And also we're getting, and we call them transplants. Um, Foxconn uh, is producing in the United States basically because consumers, many consumers want products that are made in America. And that's actually uh, can be a very strong drive. Uh, the public relations is very positive when a comp company um, is producing made in America and um, it, it, it's, important for consumers uh, to ask for Made in America and to purchase Made in America, and that, that also drives uh, the trend from the other side. We call it kind of the push-pull. Right. You had mentioned proximity to customer as one of the things that's driving reshoring, and it's interesting that the offshore producers of products in order to be close to their customers are producing here in the U.S., so not only do we have reshoring, you're right, we have, and I don't know what that's called other than transplants. I think it's probably a good term for it. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I will, that's what we call them. I didn't think of it. <laughs> I think it okay. might be a pretty common term. <laughs> Uh, but yes, it, it's the same. It's the same idea. Is that they eliminate a, a lot? Of, they shorten their supply chain, as we said before. So they're eliminating a lot of the 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 complicated supply chains when they uh, are manufacturing closer to consumers. Well, so it's very helpful as well. And yes, they're creating jobs for us. Yes, they certainly are in good-paying jobs. I think that's what we're hearing uh, across the United States when we talk to some of the associations. The Texas Manufacturing Association tells us that the average manufacturing wage is in the $70,000 range, and we've heard anywhere from sixty dollars to $80,000 for uh, someone who is uh, moving forward in their career in manufacturing. So it's not the... Uh, dirty, dark, and dangerous uh, manufacturing of uh, the days of the 1930s. This is really some high-tech stuff. Um, What else is going on in in reshoring, uh, Sandy, that's important for our listeners to know? Uh, Well, actually, the other thing that I can bring up is uh, something that we're starting to talk about is uh, some some of the the companies are gaining – foreign trade zone status in order to uh, to aid in reshoring. Um, foreign trade zone status offers a means to reduce the total cost of the components and therefore the assembled product. So uh, that might be something interesting that if someone is uh, manufacturing here, uh, if they're exporting um, we can talk about that a little bit if you think that might be of interest to your. your I do. I, I don't think any. I don't think everybody understands foreign trade zones very well. So if you can go into some detail on that, I think that would be helpful. Okay. Well, basically, if they apply and gain foreign trade zone status, uh, it allows companies to eliminate or reduce duties and tariffs on the imported components. And how that relates to reshoring is uh, they're eliminating or reducing the duties and tariffs on imported components that are then combined with U.S.-made components in the final assembly. Uh, okay. And, and the, the savings from this uh, really comes from three different factors. The portion of the products that are exported, naturally, they're, so they're saving on that because – uh, of the of the way the duties work, the the often lower U.S. duty rate on assembled products. The duty rate is often less on the assembled product as opposed to just the components of the product, and they also many times can delay in paying duty until the product is shipped domestically out of a foreign trade zone. So it is a little complicated but it's certainly worth looking into because, as I said, it reduces the total cost of the fully assembled product. So many times um, this would be something else that would be helpful helpful to somebody that is considering reshoring but perhaps can't make all of the components of something uh, here in the United States. Uh, Sandy, who would you recommend uh, our listeners to go to for that uh, specific information. Do you have anybody off the top of your head for them to go to? Uh, I don't, but if they Google foreign trade zone, I believe that that association with the National Association will come up immediately, and um, that is where they that would that would be my biggest suggestion. Um, they can also uh, email us. Uh, Harry's email is on the uh, the Reshoring Initiative. We could certainly direct them. You know. Uh, more specifically, if, if, if they, they need that. Excellent. Uh, we're going to take a commercial break for a moment or so, so we'll be right back. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. 
When you use the Premier Rewards Gold Card from American Express, the rewards points can keep on multiplying. Buy three with triple points on airfare. Buy two with double points on gas and groceries. And a single point for pretty much every other dollar you spend on the card. Then, start choosing from over a million rewards to redeem all those points. Apply today and the annual fee for the first year is on us. Call 1-800-AXP-GOLD or visit AXPGOLD.com. The annual fee for the card is $175. See terms, conditions, and restrictions at AXPGOLD.com. It's no secret that manufacturers are having trouble filling jobs. Now, with ThomasNet's new job board, help is on the way. For manufacturers, ThomasNetJobs.com is the go-to resource to recruit new talent. Post your jobs and get in front of thousands of potential employees. Or, if you're looking for a new job or you want to reinvent yourself, ThomasNetJobs.com offers exciting opportunities from the shop floor to the C-suite in supply chain management, engineering, production, or sales. Remember... ThomasNetJobs.com. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at SteelForge.com or call 800 800- Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Sandy, I know that we've talked about uh, shorter supply chain, uh, uh, an elevation in quality, uh, time to market, reducing time to market, uh, smaller inventories. Uh, Two issues we haven't touched on. One is the the uh, intellectual property risk, and that that risk is diminished, obviously, uh, when it is not offshore. Can you touch on that a bit? Uh, sure. A number of companies, it's very important uh, to uh, to have that protected, uh, so much so that uh, it is very interrupting to their business practices. So when they move it uh, closer to home or actually to the United States, then that really relieves that risk of intellectual, the intellectual property risk much, much more. Um, I would say that's really all I could speak to about it, but it's an extremely important important. Sure, I knew that. I know that was a a big, big issue when we first started hearing about offshoring, and then you heard about um, countries knocking off a lot of our products the other thing is the uh, disc, the, uh, the tax benefits of a disc. Um, if you have any information for our listeners on a disc, um, well, basically what I understand about that is it is uh, a tax incentive uh, for exporting uh, that is basically uh, presented. Uh, it's, it's actually presented as a, as a, a, a tax. Uh, a tax benefit. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so it is is a way for them to reduce uh, their costs um, by be having that status. But I would have to say that we don't touch on that too much, so I, it's not really my area of expertise. Well, okay. Let me just let me just throw uh, throw a line or two in on that. Um, the the disc corporations uh, today, and there was one that was created back in the. Uh, late 70s, early 80s, today's tax benefit is a uh, you you accumulate uh, profits uh, within your disc corporation where you're shipping your goods through to export to foreign countries. And those profits are tax deferred until the funds are taken out of the corporation. And at that time, the profits that are taken out are taxed at 15% instead of the corporate rate of 35%. So there is a huge uh, benefit for corporations to get into the idea of exporting, which the government also tries to, uh, in their feeble way, try to um, uh, promote. Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry, Washington, I couldn't help myself. (laughs) Um, In their feeble way, they try and uh, get people to do more exporting, but they don't tell them why. And uh, the Department of Commerce, uh, they're a great department. They're the only department in the government that I even like. They make profits. Everyone else spends money. 
but they should be doing a better and different job of getting the message out to from small manufacturers to large manufacturers. And large manufacturers, of course, know about this. It's the small to medium-sized companies that are not educated well enough by uh, local media and uh, local government about the benefits of exporting. And mm -hmm. it's huge, as you can tell from the numbers I threw around. And yeah. Washington, yeah. I hope you forgive me. <laughs> well, maybe they're listening. <laughs> and they'll, yeah, they'll they take are. your advice under consideration. <laughs> Sandy, are there any other uh, stories? I know the GE story is a favorite of yours. Any other stories our listeners should hear about reshoring? Oh, well, let's see. Um, specific stories, uh, GE, like I said, is is one of the most interesting um i think that the transplant just the idea of transplants is uh is interesting because there are a very large number and i don't know what that number is but there are a lot a large number of jobs that are created from foreign direct investment so it's a very positive thing uh as well um foxconn i guess would be one of the largest and as i said one of the reasons, their main reason, was to to uh, satisfy the Made in America um, from uh, con for consumers. Consumers uh, were really wanting uh, the pro their products to be made in America. So um, I would have to say other products. There are there are companies reshoring pretty much in every state. And we have a case study feature on our website, and you can actually look up who is reshoring, uh, why they reshored, um, how many jobs they created. So that is also on the reshorenow.org website. And also, um, while I'm here, I'd like to encourage anyone that who has reshored uh, a product to please post it on our case studies because it's very helpful, first of all, for our data collection, and also it is um, very valuable to companies that are considering reshoring if they see a product that is similar to theirs and how it was done and that it can be done. Um, now, it's also very helpful. I was just looking at reshore. Uh, .org at the moment, and I'm in, in your library of uh, 1,793 articles, pretty impressive library hmm. of what's going on in reassuring. I think that debunks the it's a fad. Uh, I'm <laughs> sure that pretty much establishes that it's, that it's going to be a trend. Uh, from what you're researching and hearing, Sandy, what's the nervousness around reassuring uh, that that People think it is a fad and not here to stay. Do you know? Well, I, I think that one thing that people have to realize is that many of the companies didn't do the math uh, as they were offshoring. They offshored uh, basically one of the main reasons is is it was kind of a herd mentality. Um, so they saw their competitors going. They thought that there were they were going to be uh, selling their product at 30% less, and they, they kind of just followed each other offshore. What we like to tell people is don't make the same mistake as you're, re as you're coming back and you're reshoring. Do the math. Do the homework. Uh, make sure that you know the supply chain is there uh, and, and all of the different factors that you should consider very carefully. Um, I think sometimes um, that people uh, or don't consider all of the factors involved and reshore, and then, you know, they run into uh, difficulty, which they eventually straighten out, but planning is very, very important. Uh, mm -hmm. The other thing I would have to say is that uh, our supply chain, um, which was uh, very robust at one time, um, much of that has, uh, has it is there's less suppliers um, because of all of the offshoring. So that is something that needs to be developed and mapped out uh, so that when people are reshoring, they can find those suppliers with the right capacity and the right uh, machine assets to, um, to actually um, source their work in the U.S. 
And I see that there are a number of case studies on your website as well and that people can submit a case study. Yes, um, and they get a so free those, T-shirt if they do that. <laughs> oh, oh, that's that's worth writing the case study right there. <laughs> we tried to we tried to get those out of Harry, but he he, he didn't come up with one. So we're going to have to uh, find a different way to bribe him. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the yeah. case studies I'm I'm sure that you have gone uh, through. Um, it looks like they're very similar on what they're achieving when they do that complete study. There are certainly some uh, strong benefits. Uh, I see that uh, Jardin Plastic, for instance, the value of work reshored to make this product uh, $8.5 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, these are some significant manufacturing changes that are hugely beneficial to the United States and our job force here. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That's why it is certainly worth. Uh, our numbers show us that 25% of uh, companies can reshore a portion of what they've offshored just by doing the total cost of ownership estimation. Hmm. Do you have any idea how much they could reshore? Do you? Uh, is it? Well, you know, 10%, 20%, 30%. Uh, it would be equal to, I, I'm not sure the number, but it would be equal to 1 million manufacturing jobs. If uh, all mm. the companies did the total cost, they would be able to, that uh, that number that would be able to actually reshore. Okay. Those are certainly real positive for our economy. Hmm. Yes. Now, I also see that you've got um, some upcoming events. Uh, what is the next event that our listeners probably should look at, either tuning into or participating in, uh, to get a, a little better feel for reshoring uh, that's coming up in the near future? Uh, well, basically, they can um, – I look, it's at the end of the year, so there, it looks like there's only one more in Rosemont, Illinois – uh, but there is a mold-making technology webinar, 317-2015. What I would recommend is if they go to our news and events tab on the uh, on the website, they can uh, look at webinars and video archives, and they can actually see a presentation or learn about reshoring um, with these, these uh, links that we have here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that would probably, or they can go to the events if they want to see something live. Uh, but as I said, it's towards the end of the year, so it looks like we're finishing up in December and then at the moment starting up again in March. But um, Harry Moser does a lot of speaking engagements, so I'm sure that a lot more will be added soon. <laughs> for, he for travels quite are, a bit. I bet he does. I know that we <laughs> had a real challenge trying to get him back on the show. Uh, For those uh, who are probably above uh, uh, Georgia and who are frozen, uh, in St. Petersburg, Florida, in March, there's an event with the American Brush Manufacturing Association. That might be worth going to just to warm up a little bit after what appears to be a coming brutal winter. Absolutely, yes. That's what I'm hearing as well here in New Jersey is that it is going to be cold. (laughs) Now, and, and I know that we have talked to some uh, uh, individuals on our show. We talked with uh, Brad Holcomb about the impact of last winter, last uh, December, January, February, where we had such brutal cold weather. Uh, trucks weren't moving. It negatively impacted the economy. Uh, here's another great benefit for reshoring. Uh, if you can keep your uh, suppliers close, you may be able to dodge that bullet in a in what appears to be a, a looming chilly winter coming upon us. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. We have to put a a, uh, a factor into the total cost of ownership for weather. <laughs> yeah, right. Good luck with that because the weather people can't get it right either. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners on uh, reshoring? Uh, I know that we. Uh, I think have touched on uh, many of the key bullet points on why it's a benefit to them to reshore, and your tool certainly helps them evaluate 
in, in true dollars and cents uh, the benefit of reshoring. Um, is there anything else that they need to look at in terms of, for instance, organizational resources, where they have to ramp up, uh, what they should consider as they prepare for a reshoring event? Well, I think they should just uh, really take it step by step. Uh, first of all, what we always tell them to do is, is look at what is uh, what is causing you the most pain. What is your biggest problem? Is there a, uh, what particular product has the biggest quality problem, or is keeping you up at night, or just the the supply chain is just too complicated? And that's where we tell them to start um, to do the evaluation, make sure they do the math, and then of course just plan it carefully. Are they going to find the suppliers that they're going to use, or or, or just plan it step by step, uh, very carefully? The other thing that I would like to say is that, uh, and this is kind of off topic a little bit, but if there's anyone, any economic uh, economic development individuals listening, um, we have a program for economic development, which uh, is being implemented now in Mississippi, Pennsylvania, and um, Central New York, um, which is a, a program that is uh, based on bringing jobs back into that state uh, based on reshoring. Well, I didn't realize that, uh, and that's a good point on economic development. That certainly would be helpful to people knowing that part of what they can do for economic development is to be bringing jobs back to America. Yes. Yes, and, and our program is, uh, is, is a low-cost program. Basically, what we encourage them to do is uh, there's a... a something called datamine um, and they can subscribe to that and basically that tells them all of the products that are coming into to their state so we have them take a look at that see what might make sense to reshore and then approach those manufacturers and invite them to do a total cost uh, of ownership estimation and um, take it from there because most of the time they might be looking at just price. When they look at total cost, that gap, that price gap is, is either even or much smaller. And then the economic development individuals can help them close that up by, uh, with uh, uh, the MEPs can uh, train the uh, training from the MEPs or automation, whatever it takes, or perhaps some incentives to close that gap. So we've had a lot of success success with the um, economic development program. Uh, Sandy, I'd like to uh, thank you for uh, this interview today. Uh, we have a couple of uh, cleanup points that we I'd like to talk about. Uh, one being our next week's show on November uh, 25th. We're going to have Dr. Mike Galazzo, who is the uh, regional manufacturing he's with the regional manufacturing institute in the state of maryland and he's going to be talking about something that i have no clue what it's about but i will by then and it's called disruptive thinking uh, ah. and he's going to be on uh next week and uh additionally anyone who has tuned into our show late uh you can go to mfgtalkradio.com in about 30, 45 minutes, and uh, that show will be on our uh, podcast version on our website, and you're more than welcome to uh, listen to it and tell all your friends and relatives and little kids to tune in. Uh, it's, it's never it's never too early for them to learn about reshoring. And uh, uh, Sandy, it was uh, terrific having you on. Um, uh, you you make a great. You make a great number two behind uh, Harry, and uh, uh, perhaps perhaps down the road as new things, uh, new issues come up, uh, please keep us posted on uh, anything that you would like uh, new to get out to the public. Uh, we know that uh, this information is very valuable. Uh, Tim? Uh, absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. I hope I was able to give your listeners some, some information that they'll find helpful. You have, and I have just one last point. Sarah in Atlanta, because Tim forgot to ask 
about the selfie photo that you took of Tim, you and I, that we would like to have a picture of our first groupie. So if you're out there hearing us, send that photo. Tim? Thanks, Lou. Thank you, Sandy. We certainly appreciated having you on the show today. I think you provided a little more depth, a little more depth to the subject that our listeners needed. As Lou pointed out, we will be back next Tuesday. Uh, And this, by the way, will be a very interesting conversation. Uh, Mike Galeazzo is a very animated individual. Uh, We talk a lot about disruptive uh, technology. He's going to talk about disruptive thinking. I think our, our listeners will really enjoy it. And that pretty much wraps us up today for Manufacturing Talk Radio, the voice of manufacturing globally. See you next week. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.